0: Hi, this is Daniel Patrick Brennan. This is the Wine is Food podcast. And I am in where in New Jersey? Rosemont. New Rosemont, New Jersey, with Matt Ridgway from Pork Salt and the uh, new restaurant at the, pa- the, yeah, pass? the pass. Yeah, at the Pass. The Pass. Yeah. And uh, uh, first thing I want to say is what I, I could, probably should have taken 202 through PA to get here, but <laughs> I took 29 up and uh, and I it was I'm glad I did because... People forget how beautiful New Jersey is up yeah, in this, up around these am, parts. It's amazing. Man.
1: That's why. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <It's>,
0: <laughs> uh, and I think a lot of people know about New Hope in the Philadelphia area, and uh, but you know you're just across the river from that, and, and north of that, and it's gorgeous up here, and uh, I'm starting to understand why you you came up this way. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, yeah. So you're my first food guy, which is probably good because this is episode 20 of the podcast. So I don't know if that's a milestone. I think 25 is... is for, po- for podcasts? For podcasts. Oh. <laughs> I, you know, that's the, the, sil- the, silver jubilee, <laughs> the silver jubilee of podcasting. Um, but yeah, you're the first, uh, you know, f- food uh, chef that I've done. and uh, uh, But I thought it was a good uh, match for this podcast, certainly to start with, uh, because of your background in charcuterie. And uh, we're going to talk about that a bit. But basically this podcast i've done maybe i'm in the sort of first phase of what i'm doing i've asked people a lot about their story and how they got to this point and uh i think it's particularly interesting because uh you're at a point where you're opening a new restaurant we're sitting amongst a bunch of really cool equipment in a really old building and uh uh in uh rosemont new jersey (laughs) i should probably write that down and uh and it's at, you know, sort of an interesting phase of your career, and uh, I've known you for a long time, from back in the Macrossen um, yeah, days. 15 years. And all of a sudden, you popped up at... I think it was my first was, decibel tasting at, yeah it at was,
1: it was, uh, it, was it was my the first thing that i did back in philadelphia after being gone for about seven years
0: so it was exciting uh for both of us to run into each other that was my first time presenting decibel wines in philadelphia and your first time presenting uh your new project in uh, pork, pork salt, salt yeah. so we we'll yeah
1: that was 43 years ago four years ago but maybe
0: we'll start with How'd you end up, before I met you, you were, obviously got into, into food, you know, what what's your background? How'd you grow um, up? Where'd you grow up? All that stuff. I
1: actually grew up on the other side of the bridge in Bucks County and, uh, I'd really kind of like hippie parents, you know, we growing up in Bucks County, you know, it was a lot like this years ago. And with, uh, my parents, you know, we composted and canned and used, you know, root cellarine and, and everything you can imagine like on you know we had about two acres of land and you know my dad does bees and and growing up That's this right, is honey yeah the honey is yeah, honey. awesome and uh i didn't you know i didn't know about anything other than this kind of food where you know now it's the whole you know with the farm to table and eating well and, and i we just ate like this and it wasn't it wasn't anything you know dynamically complex but it was always fresh and it was always simple and you know it was my mom had you know i was the youngest of four kids so my mom had to uh you know figure out how to feed all four of us (laughs) cheaply so i mean you know back then you know short ribs were 68 cents a pound you know (laughs) not like six dollars a pound now so you know we uh, growing up that's how i ate so it was not um a far stretch for me because we were kind of, you know, we grew up in the same, like, time, and we were like latchkey kids, you know. Mm-hmm. We came home from school, both parents worked, and my mom would leave a note, and first one home, has to cook. So, <laughs> so I, you know, I just cooked, you know, and I cooked starting very early. And I just liked it, you know, and I, I never really wanted to go into cooking because, like, I don't want something I love to do, be a career. And my brother's like, I was going to go... I was going to go into the military. And then I shot a gun for the first time. I was like, this isn't for me. (laughs) So my brother's like, yeah, I don't think law enforcement's your bag, man. And so...
0: (laughs) Yeah, you chose wisely.
1: Yeah, so, you know, like, I went to culinary school. And I loved culinary school. It was like, every day was like, for me, it was a new adventure. And I'm I'm very, uh, you know, I'm very... Uh, you know come from also a very athletic background so for me like cookings like a competition every day yeah. and it's a competition with yourself and how do you make yourself better and how do you how do you improve and find your way to get faster and more organized and that's what the kitchen was all about plus it also had the discipline of you know of working especially you know we met when we, i was at the the fountain room at the four seasons which was you know back then there there's how, how long
0: before you ended up there
1: um i was you know i kind of fast tracked through culinary school it only took me like a year and a half and i uh, was out in california basically when that you know the food movement already really kind of took root but it's really when it really started exposed like you know thomas keller was in its first year at the french laundry when it was like three guys on the line and and then there's like tara you know was very very young and and so here's this 18 year old kid uh put in basically an adult you know in a and in, in a an in adult restaurant world but the cool thing was my gm she took me all over napa Napa Valley and Sonoma Valley and she taught me about wine and food and my other my chef he he sent me to all the restaurants uh, during the week like I'd work seven days a week and I'd on well, my day off I would go to another restaurant and and I saw things that I never saw before and it was just it was totally mind-blowing I I lived right next to Ravenswood Winery so I'd literally get out of bed you know you see the you know that side of the Silverado Trail and then I'd walk past and it's just you know there's rosemary and fennel blooming i was like this is insane yeah napa's
0: awesome (laughs) yeah i think we both share that (laughs) you know it's insane i mean
1: it's just a beautiful country on both sides napa and sonoma and uh so when i came back i graduated culinary school i decided to go to uh widener for business school and at the time no one was going to business school you just went to be a cook and you went on the line but i was like well you know i'm gonna want to own my own place i better better learn how to do it they actually really nice at Widener, they kind of created a, a course just for me to be a business student but also go into the kitchen. Wow,
0: that's really rare. Not, not only for the college, but I'm just saying for a a chef or a winemaker for that matter, to at a, especially at that age, to, to appreciate the business side of it because there's so many you know, I, I think maybe that's something I'm just thinking about now, but there's a big parallel between winemaking and, and being a, a chef in that you sort of come up in the trade yeah saying here's the skill set you need right. here's you know how to do it it's sort of there's an art to it there's an art side to it there's an execution and skill set to it and you work your way up maybe all the way to sous chef and then one day you're the chef just like all of a sudden you work your way up through the cellar right you become an assistant winemaker and one day you're a winemaker and all of a sudden you're expected to be a businessman a marketing guy Right. Uh, you know, no Excel spreadsheets, know how to make a budget, you know, and all that. And I'm sure you get a little of that coming up, but all of a sudden but it's, it's, it's right there it, and I have those tools absolutely. is good.
1: It's, it was, uh, you know, you know, graduating, uh, with business degree and, you know, I was, uh, I went to the four seasons and got the job at, at the four seasons. And we really kind of, you know, I left the business end for years because, You know, we were in a kitchen for 16 hours a day. There was no real internet. There was, you know, we just cooked. That was what we were. And cooking for me is, to me, is like a very good, it's like an art form, but at the same time we're. Artisans, you know, we're not, I don't wake up and decide, okay, today's a good day to cook. I have to cook. Yeah, that's yeah. my job. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it, it's really important as a, the technique and, and uh, understanding everything about food from not only the science perspective, but the business. And, and then, of course, the creative aspect of it. And to me, that's all Uh, encompasses in uh, in cooking so you know I was really fortunate and you know I think a lot of it has to do with luck I was really fortunate to be in the right places at the right times and uh, you know just and it's that and then taking advantage of the situation when you're in it because you can be in it and not take advantage of it
0: Yeah, I had an old friend who used to say luck is when preparation meets opportunity yeah absolutely maybe you're lucky when that opportunity raises and, and you're ready for it so um you're at the Fountain Room and that's where I meet you, and the yeah. old crew from the Four Seasons yeah. used to come over. Yeah. I'll never forget that meal I went with a, an XXX ex, 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 ex-girlfriend <laughs> I took in there and I had no idea because I had been working, you know, part-time at McCrossin's over the years and I was sort of just out of at a college and uh 22, 23 years old. Right. And uh I think Todd suggested I come down for dinner. And I walk in and I knew the entire staff. <laughs> <laughs> I had served them many drinks yeah. over the last few years yeah, and everybody that. was so happy to see me. And that was mm-hmm. actually, I think that was the first time I had a true tasting menu, uh-huh. like a you know a, a degustation or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and it was yeah. on the fly. Yeah. And I got to come back and see really what, uh, uh, you know, I had some idea, but again, talk about before cell phones before cooking shows yeah, and all was, that you know, real serious thing so to walk like, back in there and see you guys killing it was really cool
1: yeah it was you know those times you know and then it was like the 90s or it was like you know it was like, i, I equate it to like the studio 54 times you know <laughs> that it'd be for us it was you know we really enjoyed being cooks i still enjoy being cooks i don't know if that's the case so much anymore but we loved it i mean we, we completely embraced the that aspect of it and Again, a little bit to our detriment because we didn't see the business end and we didn't care about the business end. All we cared about was making the food better. But, you know, there's something to be said about that. And, and the, the team we build, I mean, we're, you know,
0: those guys are all over the place yeah Yeah, hungry
1: we were hungry angry young guys you know and and we just wanted to learn and that's you know you hear that i just want to learn now and it becomes almost like a catchphrase but it's like learning you know learning goes hand in hand it's a two-way street Mm -hmm. and that's what you know jean-marie and uh martin hammond's genius was is they they understood that and it just kind of we uh you know we kind of invoke that with the whole team the team basically disciplined
0: themselves that was Jean-Marie Lacroix right? yeah I gotta was... drop some names yeah you he have know, to jump <laughs> it was uh you know the silver fox you know so do you think that uh did he sort of create that environment where it was like okay I got all these guys You you know I'm just gonna get a lot of talent here let them do their thing and I'll sort of keep the reins in and, yeah, and keep, well, keep the cost yeah. of can, but let these guys yeah i mean express he, themselves you
1: know marty and chef both understood that you know uh marty always said you know was, uh, he's a keeper of the asylum but you know it was actually true because it was like part psychology part management and you got to understand that you have a bunch of creative minds that are young and hungry and you need to focus them and the way to do that and it was it's strange if you look at all the guys backgrounds from Paul to Todd to Bryn they're all college graduates some with uh, you know chemistry degrees some with yeah. you know with bio degrees and they're in a kitchen now <laughs> and so it was a, an interesting dichotomy of guys that really wanted to learn but we applied all of that knowledge to cooking and it was, uh, you know, we really sometimes overthought things, but, you know, we would literally work 16 hours a day and then go to Macross and, and then start working on prep menus in the morning. Yeah, I thought that's what cooking was when I got out to the, the real world.
0: And I could even say for sure that most of the conversation outside of, you know, maybe what your favorite band was at the time <laughs> yeah, or something yeah, yeah. was, uh, you know, shit this night and this food and remember that thing that happened. And, Absolutely. you know, you guys were just totally, uh, and I wasn't. Really, I was part time, and and uh, really, uh, uh, in hindsight, I'm not sure I ever really was that. Uh, you know, certainly, never as deep as you guys as far as passionate about the restaurant industry. But I was kind of in music those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But uh, but, that's- but I can remember sitting there and going, you know, always thinking, particularly after I had visited you guys, that damn these guys are. They're serious about what they do. And
1: yeah, I really, you know, it was a great time in our lives, I think, that because a lot of our learning was between collectively. And it was funny. is That that was how the slab of slough was invented. <laughs>
0: That's right. The, <laughs> the famous sandwich that one day will make us all millionaires. Yeah,
1: definitely it was going to make us all millionaires. I, if you remember, like, we would... Uh, you know, that was our trade. I'd bring in, like, a four-pound sandwich, <laughs> with a uh, with roasted fingerling potatoes and charcuterie,
0: and then I'd wrap it in plastic wrap and cryovac it. It was, like, a 10-pound sandwich. I know. You'd look at this thing, and you'd think, oh, that's not bad. You know, you'd be working all night, and the kitchen at McCrossins would be closed, and you guys would show up at, like, twelve thirty, one o'clock yeah. or something, and... And uh, or later, yeah, and maybe stay later, <laughs> yeah. and uh, or definitely stay I, later. I lost many a girlfriend because I was at Macross. It's <laughs> <since laughs> six in the morning. Yeah. Uh, we so we would eat, yeah, that's pretty much public knowledge. Just and that, kidding, that, that, no, that it's fine because that era is long gone mm-hmm. now. Um, but. Uh yeah, you'd eat like a quarter of the sandwich and be like hunkered <laughs> over the bar like, holy shit, like, um, what the hell is in that? But it
1: tasted so good. Yeah, you know, French fri french fries and uh frisee salad. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good combination on a on a sandwich at two o'clock in the morning.
0: So then after uh the fountain room after the fountain
1: right? room, you know, chef retired and we were kinda in a weird we were kinda in a weird spot because um Todd put it very aptly um in an interview with uh, Craig LeBan, he said, you know, we woke up one day and hot cuisine kind of like disappeared. Mm. And this is what we knew. And, you know, I could see the writing on the walls, uh, you know, food was changing. And then chef asked me to uh, come with him to the Rittenhouse Hotel. The Rittenhouse was treetops and, you know, naivete and youth and still being a little bit angry. Um, You know, I was like, yeah, let's go. I'm half in a bag, you know, kind of half alcoholic. But Mm. um, all I knew was how to cook. So that was a really wide uh, eye-opening experience for me because I knew the fountain room and I knew that, you know, the competition, the pressure was there to do something different. And so we were going into what was an American kitchen and we had to retrain everybody to cook our style. And I thought everybody cooked like us you know and it wasn't even like a bad thing it's just i never thought that there was any other way of cooking except this way and yeah was the right way so i was a little <coughs> i was a little young and myopic but you know it got us through you know some you know it was it was difficult um because we kept the treetops name for a year and i decided you know i said the chef i said you know we are sitting one day, he's like, well, what do you want to do for the menu? You know, how chef talks, what do you want to do for the menu? Huh? <laughs> and, I, you know, and he's good like that because he'll turn it on you. And uh, I'm like, well, you know, it's, this is your restaurant. You know, this is La Croix. You know, we have to do something different than the fountain room. I mean, the fountain room was, you know, epitomized for being the most fine dining mm. in, in not only the city but in the country. So, you know, we did the tasting menus and the spontaneous menu. We were changing the menu four or five times a week. So I was like, well, we got to do that. But I want to do something like I wanted the best product. Like we had, there was only a couple purveyors at the time. So I said, you know what, Chef? Because I grew up in Bucks County. I know some farmers out there. I'm going to drive out there and I'm going to find them. And I'd drive, you know, on my days off, I'd drive out here in this area and pick up stuff. And I'd drive back. I'd go up to New York. And I was pissed off because I'd go to the Union Square Market and you'd see all these these vendors and they all be from Pennsylvania, Northern Pennsylvania, because the green market has a 90 mile radius that they can come in. I said, why aren't you guys in Philadelphia? And they're like, well, there's no market there for us. I'm Mm -hmm. like- Let's change that. (laughs) I was like, you're fucking serious? (laughs) And uh, so I just decided, I just wanted, I wanted the best food, you know? I mean, because we wanted this to, like when you have an egg for the first time, when I went to France and I had an egg for the first time, like it changes the way you look at things, you know, you're like, wow, this is pretty amazing. You know, the, the eggs, like, seriously, they stood up on end like tits, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, they're like perfect. They're you don't have to whisper when you say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird. You know? <laughs> um, so uh, it was, it was beautiful. And the, the eggs are, you know, very centered and, and you, you get to learn about like, okay, the age of an egg has to do with, you know, with uh, the white and the albumin and you can see the egg move. So, you know, when I got back to Pennsylvania, I was like, I know they're here. It's just there's no, there's no way to get them from the the farmers. The whole culture
0: wasn't there, terms no. specifically going south. Yeah, down to Philly.
1: Yeah, and so it was in New York already. There was a really neat culture in in New York, and so I was just angry because I wasn't able to get that food to Philadelphia, and so. You know i just really it was a mission for myself to to bring the food and to have some really nice stuff we just and we you know that was my goal i'd actually bring in stuff from my parents house you know my mom would grow like 15 16 different varieties of tomatoes i i supplied the four seasons now i was supplying the lacroix with it and we'd grow sunchokes we'd and we would just use them and <laughs> you know a lot of it had to do with like not knowing what to do with it but there's a lot of it had to do with like you know okay so you know it's you get to a certain point and especially i'm sure with winemaking your taste profile expands and you your 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 palate expands and then you're like okay if this is good here this this and this is going to be good and they're what i call like a flavor pal and uh you know you can you know jump back and forth and it's not so much fusion it's just you know you look at especially you know countries and not just france and italy but you know african they they all have like you know you can look at cookbooks and you can see that there's very similar ways of doing things and similar flavor profiles so they're trying to get out of food yeah um and if you understand that you can really cook any cuisine um and that's what you know at la croix i was like why don't we do this i was like when i was in spain there was tapas i was like i liked it because I'm a Gavon, and I just like to like sharing with everybody. And when we used to go out to Vietnam with Shellong Kong down in Chinatown, you know, you get all the food and we used to, you know, mix and match. I was like, why don't we do something like that, but make it more like, you know, know, make it accessible for people. I said, we need to be able to bring it to a lot of people and not be just the fountain room. I said, you have that already. I think we're going to get slaughtered. Yeah. So So, were you trying to do... Like a more refined version of it. Or, yeah, it was. Yeah. That's exactly what we were doing. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how to label it. it was like, yeah. and we came up with an idea of doing first plate, second plate, third plate, and you could get any course, any plate. And you know, Philadelphia was very about appetizer, soup, yeah. salad, entree. We actually had people pissed off that they couldn't. They didn't get it, and they're like, "Well, if you wanted three lobsters, you can get three lobsters." They're like, "I don't understand." This stuff. Yeah. And Just eat. Man. It was a fifty-five, sixty-five, and seventy-five dollar menu. And it was a three, four, five courses, and dessert was free. Now, people were like, $75. That's a lot. I was like, six courses for $75? Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. We we put ourselves in the shit because, you know, we didn't realize how many plates we were going to be doing. We ended up doing, like, if you, we did 120 night, and everybody's getting five courses. That's over 500 plates of food. That's crazy. But we were able to get, since we were moving so much food, we got so many cool things in. And I started getting in whole animals and trying to get as... You know, I was like, you know, I want to break these down, and I want to make something out of this, and I want to, you know, and, and that's where, you know, the, the fountain room came in. It was like, okay, I know what I... My my end goal. Now I just got to back the steps up. Mm -hmm. And if I can make this like this, I can take this and make this. And, and chef was always good because I'd get something in and he'd be like, Ooh, what are you going to do with that? And he (laughs) knew what you could do with it, but he wouldn't tell me about it. So I'd make somebody like, Oh, you can do this. And uh, you know, why don't you do this? And I was like, "Uh, you know, give me a break. It's too late now. (laughs) I already did it. Thanks a lot, Chet. (laughs) So, you know, that was great. Um, So it was a good six years there. And then I decided I didn't want to just be in Philly. I wanted to travel, and it was really a main goal. And I didn't want to wake up one day and, and not travel anywhere. And I mean, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, I felt can the appreciate that. <laughs> and so I, I went down to work for a chef named uh, Jean Tournayes, which is he's like in the industry, everybody knows him. But if you, you talk to the regular person, people are like Joël and I don't know who he is. And he's like he's like he's totally opposite of uh, of Jean Marie. Where Jean Marie was a, a great cook, manager of chefs, and, and he understood, you know, he understood the dynamic of people. Where Joël was more of the, uh, he he was the chef for Trogro and um, Pierre Gagné. And where he,
0: were we at during this? This was in Atlanta. Oh, okay. And uh, so
1: I I actually was the chef de cuisine um, at uh, at the at uh, and I went to Joël and I said, I don't, I want to be a cook again be a me, and I was 28 so I he's like why do you want to do this and he said uh, he I, I was like I just want to so I, I worked and I kept my mouth shut for six months didn't smile just worked and he called me in the office he goes he goes oh and this he talks like that because he's from the south of France he's like uh you're not happy here and i said no i'm very happy he's like i never see you smile i never see you talk and you just do your work i said oh i'm very happy he's like well, what do you want to do here and the same thing with jean-marie and i looked out and i said see that right there i want that guy's job i want that guy's job i want that guy's job he goes okay so the next day i become like the chef de partie of a, i was a comey and then a chef de partie, and i moved my way up and then i became a chef de cuisine um eventually five years later um and I, I've always liked that. I always like starting from the bottom and working with nothing and having the no expectation of of uh, doing the job. And the best thing was as chef, you know, Joel was very particular about product and he really understood food on a on a different level than people. And he, we brought in whole animals and he, he got them in from France. Like he would literally get them in under wow. the radar. Um, from france we'd bring in these big containers what year was this 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 was like right before nine i was gonna say yeah yeah and it was like in that area it was like you know no one was checking anything and it was like you know that you know we had an import export license and you can import export x amount of dry goods and stuff and we'd have dry goods in front and underneath was like a carcass yeah (laughs) unpasteurized cheese you know we'd get breast squab breast chicken we'd get like cheeses. I walk in and I was like the entire place is filled with the stink of a poise and I was like where did that come from that's not (laughs) pasteurized and he's like oh no I get from I get it from France so we got all this stuff and we were selling it to all the chefs in the around the country so we would actually be a broker for like Ducasse and Robochon and and we'd send it out to Vegas and we send it in New York it was insane I was (laughs) like this is complete insanity but he thought about food on a, a completely different level and he really uh, changed the way I, th- I became a better cook with him um, with uh, sauces and, and really kind of defining flavor And he really kind of we would bring in whole animals we break them down and we use them all the way through and that's really what started Chuck Rudy for me is that you know he he knew every single technique and that's what I wanted him to do so I would come to him like, chef, let's get this. And he'd, he'd get excited, you know, and he'd bring it in and we'd do it. And that's how, you know, and we would, you know, we'd bring in whole animals, we'd break them down, we'd use one thing, we'd have to use everything else. So that's how, you know, that is like the normal progression of a kitchen. It wasn't like charcuterie was the, you know, when I went to France and I was in the in the south of France and a lot of the restaurants, they didn't make their own charcuterie like a lot of restaurants do today. There's actually a charcuterie.
0: Yeah. that, that they
1: would buy the the charcuterie from, and they're well respected, and it's more of a, you know, it's a, more of an artisan trade, uh, and um, and so when uh, that was like kind of, it was kind of cool for me because I saw a lot of different things of uh, sausages in the south of France that were were very big and lusty and full of flavor, whereas we were you no know, so used to the the same old, um, you know, you get the high acidic uh, salamis and the cacioccherines and and you know, I, I had so many different things over there. I was like, wow, this is great. But I didn't really think there was going to be a career. So when I went up to New York, I uh, worked at the Oak Room. We opened the Oak Room. That was a complete, disa- that was a complete disaster. That's not, not too yeah. bad. Oh, no? That's okay. Yeah, you're okay. Um, and I came home, and I was, you know, working basically nonstop from the time I was 19. I never took vacations. I never, you know, I always volunteered to go on... Uh, on um you know my vacations i took like you know i'd go to you know taiwan or i'd help open a restaurant and it was a personally detrimental but i came home and i was like you know i'm just not going to do anything i'll sweep a floor so i i actually started sweeping a floor for a little while in this warehouse and the guy was making some things and i said you know that's, they, they don't look good and you're selling this to de bruno so we started making more and more and so i started making like the pates and stuff like that and de bruno started buying them in much bigger bulks so i was like well why don't we do a business like this and that's you know that was the uh, originally the the name of the the it was going to be called uh cockbird cockbird <laughs> and it you know just reminded me of us and you know because that would make us laugh yeah, you know, the, yeah, yeah. our stupid humor so and cockbird is actually a it's a male pheasant so but everybody talked me out of it you know much to my chagrin when i saw the uh the name of uh, a, a store called Doggy Style, <laughs> yeah, and that. I was like, seriously, everybody's all pissed off at Cockbird, and I, you got Doggy yeah. Style, so, uh, you know, I wanted to do a name um, that was interesting and combine like French and American, uh, but I originally, you know, it was uh, pork is to salt, and using the 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 quotient marks be pork and then salt, and and my brother actually was a good idea, and he said, you know, you. It, you don't want to have the joke that like four people get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's like, why don't you do pork salt? And he's like, you flip around and then you have the, the C and then the salt. I said, like, that's a good idea. That's like, can we put the salt up like, you know, almost like a chemical equation, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, H2O or something like that. And he said, yes, you know, that works. And that's how, you know, pork salt began. Um, you know, and I built my own smoker with my father and, and, uh, and I just wanted to do things simple. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, after, you know, be you know living in the city, or you know, it's it's it's, you know, takes a lot out of you, especially like living in New York. It's it's literally like a bear on your back, beating you in the Constantly. head every day. Yeah, and never just, stops. Yeah, it never stops, and I didn't, I don't want to do that anymore.
0: So uh, I don't know if we're backing up here a second, but just for people who <clears throat> may not be, you know, they probably know charcuterie without mm-hmm. actually realizing they know shakoturi. Okay. What sort of encompasses uh charcuterie? charcuterie?
1: Uh, a lot of things. Um you know, f- first and foremost I, I think everybody thinks of charcuterie, um you know, charcuterie is a French word, uh, you know, meaning cooked meat, you know? Um and you'll see like uh, in in Italy it's uh, the soulmier and they make, you know, the sausage as well in, in france there's so many different types of charcuteries there's a guy who does like the tripe charcuterie and then there's a guy who just does pork charcuterie and there's even a guy who does like it's not as as prevalent anymore but there was a guy who does horse meat and like you had different sure you know so uh yeah, what it is that's is very it,
0: timely for you to bring up
1: horse meat yeah i know <laughs> it's, everybody's losing their minds over know. it and i don't you know it's just a cultural thing totally you know i yes it was it Deceitful to put it in there, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know, but is it like the end of the world that you know horse meat is is you know culturally with other places? You go to you know go to go to Sweden. Is it sweet? No, go to Iceland. You think there's cows in Iceland? I don't think so. <laughs> but you need it. I mean, horse is animals, animal. Similar, everybody's like, you know, dog. Well, you're not eating, you know, little Fido, you yeah. know, when you go to Asia. I mean, they're pack animals. It's just like a wild animal. Yeah. So, you know, I think that I, cooking also allowed me to, to see so many other cultures and was really one of the amazing things for me so the charcuterie is great because you see it all over the world at at various levels and it's basically a preservation method of meat uh whether it's salumi whether it's whole muscle um and uh you know it it can be from you know curing fat to you know rendering down the lard to making you know the you know the very like the pates and the tureens and the things that i really kind of focus on
0: i just had uh when we were in Milano, we had uh, just lard. Yeah, like the really super it's thin, thin slice. The lardo, on the, the cullenata. Oh my god, that's like yeah, it's a, th- and that's a great <clears> uh, you know like you know, snack for with, with especially with wine. It's like so I thought simple. It, yeah,
1: it's so simple and,
0: and just like uh, really flavorful. And anyway, I was just thinking of that when you yeah, it's, that. it's
1: great. I mean, uh, it's funny you know when you talk about lardos. Uh, you know when I and I, I know it may upset people, but you know I'm cooking in French kitchens. And I, we didn't, I didn't realize we were cooking a lot of Italian-style things, but I had no, like, in Philadelphia, you know, years ago, before, you know, Vetri, it was really kind of red gravy kind of places. Totally. And, and it was, you know... checkered tablecloth. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I had n- really kind of no respect for it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, burnt broccoli robs and, you know, and a big uh, oversized plate of shit on a plate, you know. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't, you know, this is not good. But then, you know... It blew me away when I saw these guys from Ambruzzi came over for um, a uh, uh, Fiori San Gregorio uh, came and they brought these guys from Ambruzzi and they blew my mind how simple it was. They made all their own charcuterie and that was really the first time I had just a whole breath of, of salumi that they made. They did this valentine basically of... Uh, rabbit on the inside but on the outside was a hard pol- like polenta oh. and they sliced it really thin and they were really particular about how it was like they we did an antipasta plate and the antipasta plate was very particular like we sliced everything all in minute and put it on the plate and you taste it is it like it was like picking something out of a garden it's like you pick something out of the garden and eat it it's so different from when it like sits for a while and the uh these guys didn't speak a word of english and they spoke French and they made stuff, they they made all their own pasta and they did a dry pasta course and then they did an extruded pasta course. And
0: I mean, I think that's something that is even probably underrated. You know, I, I, I've been, I was in, this is my third trip to Italy and I always loved the pasta there. That's right. I always loved the pasta there and you think, I mean, it's usually simple recipes and everything, but the actual pasta itself, I don't know if it was just this past trip that gained more of appreciation or the fact that I... Cooked more on my own and fucked it up (laughs) enough times to know when, you know. It's every time I had pasta there, it was cooked. I'm, you know, the the pasta itself was cooked perfectly, you know, just enough al dente that it was like, and that's that is the, and I'm talking little tiny shack in the middle of Rome. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: it it was, uh, to me, is like when I had the pasta, like they made, you know, they made the al guitar, which is like a, a guitar string pasta. And then they had, um, they actually had Cecco, but they brought the Cecco from Italy because they said that the Cecco in Italy is different from the, the ones that get to America. I'm like, oh, shocking. <laughs> uh, and they brought their own tomatoes, their own tomatoes. I mean, literally, wow. soup, the nuts, olive oil. they brought it all. And just uh, the simplicity of the pasta, it tasted like, Where were flour. they doing this at? Where were they you? did it at La Croix. Oh, okay. We did a wine dinner and, and uh, I was like, you know, we they would come in and cook. And then we would help, you know, send it out. So I was like, you know, I, I'm going to, well, I want to learn from these guys. And there was a husband and wife. And they owned like a two-star Michelin, like inn, like out in the middle of nowhere. And, and it was great. I mean, it was really amazing to see. And it really kind of opened my eyes. I'm like, well, maybe, uh, you know, maybe Italian cuisine doesn't suck as much as I thought. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, that was really kind of my, my first, you know, I thought about. I was like, all right, maybe I shouldn't be so myopic in cooking. Like, okay, this the French way is the best way, and and uh, and, and really kind of expand on my, my. And that
0: opened up to Asian and yeah, absolutely South you know, America. Yeah, animals. I wanted to
1: know. Like, I just wanted to know and respect a culture for for what it is, as far as the food dynamics is concerned. And and one of my like, I collect a lot of cookbooks, and one of my things is I, I you know I try to. Um, See if there's a parallel between like cooking styles at different times and in uh, in history, and you can see there's like like especially with the spice trades and and uh, and see where everybody was.
0: In I like gotta cooking. think it's it's like uh, winemaking and that it, probably more so that you follow cultures around the world. Yeah, absolutely, and, and, absolutely. And you could it's sort of <laughs> you look at the food of people and the and the uh, cuisine of people and you can follow the history of, you know, why is there Indian food in, in the UK? Absolutely. You know? <laughs> I mean You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing
1: that, you know, really culturally and food go hand in hand, and I think I wish people would appreciate that more, but, you know, that's life. Um, but, yeah, the charcuterie was just a, a means to an end. It wasn't something that I thought it was going to be cool or, and hip or vogue. I just wanted to do what I knew how to do in the most simple way possible, and I really didn't want to be... Honestly, bothered by anyone. I had, you know, I had a staff of like thirty-five in the Oak Room, and and I just didn't, you know, just I was burnt, you know. Oak burnt Room was
0: in, in New York in at New York. the Plaza oh, Hotel. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: you know that was a, you know, that's an entire podcast of it itself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, what we'll <leave> did <laughs> um, Yeah, but you know, I to me the the basics of of getting a, a really nice animal and. and sorry i know uh, it's all
0: right you here. know we're getting engaged and you're leaning forward away <laughs> from the microphone
1: um we'll the, fix it in post show okay yeah, <laughs>
0: post edit yeah that's right
1: um that you know for me like finding the animal was like an it was a natural fit you know and so a couple years ago um when i first started it i you know i was looking for farmers i was like you know what if i paid you guys a good price would you be able to make this is what I want out of my pig. You know, I don't want this and this. And you'll hear a lot of like catchy things like, you know, you know, all the different um, breeds that they have now, then they're called heritage breeds. It's like heritage breeds and pigs are a lot like heirloom tomatoes. You know, you, you, they basically bred out um, pigs to be more consistent and to have like, you know, what I, my theory is, and I don't know if this is true, is that I'm sure that like, you know, the big push for uh poultry was, you know,
0: Bigger breasts. Yeah and, yeah, and
1: and white meat. And mm-hmm. and so, remember, growing up, what was pork's, like, slogan was the other white meat. Yeah. So, they basically bred the flavor and the fat out of uh, pork to make it more like chicken. And it was this wet, kind of nasty product. So, when I asked, you know, I asked, you know, a lot of farmers, and they were kind of a little bit reluctant at first. Because, you know, th- you get burned by you know you get burned by restaurants that you know don't pay on time so i found this guy um we kind of found each other um nate thomas uh, out at breakaway farms in uh, lebanon pa and he was raising basically he does what's called like high impact farm management he's got um He's got lots of, he's got pigs, he's got chickens, he's got rabbits, he's got um, lamb and he kind of rotates them like a fallow system where, you know, just like, you know, a farm or you need to leave grapes fallow or something like that, like different plots of land. Yeah. He does the same thing and every, every animal takes care of <clears throat> another animal.
0: Actually, I think we, vines are one of the only things you don't have to rotate. Oh no? They're weeds. Yeah. So <laughs> they just grow in the worst soils anyway. They uh. actually do better there. Yeah, But, yeah. but you know i've lived on orchards and i see what they've done to soils and yeah I mean, be good if they were, could rotate them or yeah. potatoes or, or anything like it's that. like
1: i think it's like anything that you um you know a little is good a lot is bad yeah and you know an effort to streamline the food system you know they you know they basically you know, really killed the food system mm. so it was really it was important to me that i would use this kind of this kind of animal and so, you know, to me, the biggest respect is to, you know, you know, take an animal f- from, you know, the time it's uh, slaughtered to all the way through the process, and from, you know, it, it was important. So, but it makes a better, like, this, let's get serious. I mean, it makes a better quality of meat. Totally. You know, yeah. Better quality of pork. Better quality of sausage. And so. You know, I got Nate to to work with me, so we do a lot of stuff together. And I said, you know, I said to him, I said, listen, I said, at first it's just me, it's was me for four years. I said, uh, you know, I can't take a whole animal right away. I take a animal once in a while, but I I'm going to need the hams or I'm going to need the shoulders. He said, what am I going to do with the rest of the pork? I was like, I will find you, chefs that want this yeah and so i would go into the city and i'd find all my friends i'm like there's this guy he's got great buying this yeah and, and you know it was really more for like you know i take his bellies or i take you know and then as i got busier and busier i was able to get you know i was able to get you know more whole product i remember the first time i said okay i want 20 pigs and i want i'm gonna want the uh, the hams and i want the shoulders and i want the bellies and i want the the jowls and I didn't really think about how much meat that is. And he gets there, and and it was the first time he was doing this. And literally, it's a pallet of hams like sitting there, and I'm staring at this thing. And it's like four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, what the fuck did I just get into? <laughs> and I spent the entire day, you know, breaking them down, taking the a hach bone off, and curing them. And uh, you know, that was really my my first fray into doing a much more. Um, uh you know you do one ham you do one you know a couple sausages but you didn't i never did it in mass before so you know i'm curing like at one time i'm curing like 600 pounds of hams 400 pounds of bellies you know and
0: so when you're salting them are you adding other things i am
1: you know it really is like i did a lot of you know i uh i wanted to learn like you learn in kitchens you know you learn recipes or you learn um flavor profiles and you learn techniques but you don't really learn the science of it. Mm. So you get a lot of like, it's like trial and error, which is fine if you're, you know, if you're cooking something, but you know, you're curing <laughs> things anaerobically. Yeah. So you don't want to kill anybody. So I went out to Iowa and I had, I took a a bunch of courses at Iowa State. Uh, it's pretty impressive. They have actually a meat lab. You can get a doctorate in, in oh, cool. meat science. <laughs> I was like, Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you know, the funny thing was is at the time, um, you know, charcuterie was still kind of on the uh, on the outskirts, and um, there was a couple guys. It, like I said, you know, it's it's funny is that you know you see trending happening and you see pockets, and and there was a guy, Mike Sullivan, uh, who's at um, Blackberry Hill Farms, and he happened to be there, and and uh, we just you know we hit it off. So there's us who like a more artisan style of like very simple. And then there's guys around us from PepsiCo and, sure, and sure. Pizza Hut. And, and they're learning about what they call snack sticks and making a production. Like they were talking about like smokehouse production and their, how they lose like $100,000 a year and smoke loss and out of their chimneys. And I'm like, I'm like, they call it drip loss. And I'm like, my smoke loss is close the fucking door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> but it was funny because you know, you take that and you can say you can shit on it and say oh well you know these guys are doing something you know the production is you know this is not you know useful for me but it is useful because there you know I learned about rheology and, and bacteria and and fermentation and this acidity levels and and what encapsulated uh, acids are and and uh, the difference between like a slow ferment and a quick ferment and it really kind of it really kind of solidified a lot of the things that i was doing whereas like before it was kind of like okay this works and i can't really tell you why but it works and you'll find that i'm sure a lot in you know italy and, and in france that the old guard is like this is how we do it and yeah it, um,
0: Well, i think that's interesting and there's another parallel between winemaking is because you know you do run into people that all oh, that place is just a factory warehouse right. winery and mm-hmm. there's actually you know there's some obviously f- some financial freedoms that those places have to experiment. Right. Uh, but there's also, you know, kinetics work completely differently and l- giant ferments of and, course. and there's things to be learned. And, and then on top of that, you know, they've got some cool machinery yeah. and things like that. And you go, oh, I could maybe incorporate that somehow yeah. into what I'm doing. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, and you can't just turn your back on it. Uh, cause I, I've know some friends who have, and I actually went to work for a larger, a little slightly larger, definitely larger winery this year. And, mm. Kind of had a look at that myself again at, at Gerard, where I worked this past year. And that's, yeah, it's interesting to say that because you don't think about that in meat production yeah, as much. But I mean, that uh, it mean, totally it makes sense. It
1: definitely makes sense. I mean, it's like economies of scale. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you have to streamline your, your operations and your business. And uh, to me, I wanted to, to figure out how to do it on an industrial level. Am I ever going to get to the that industrial level where I'm
0: making like basically Slim gyms?
1: No. No. But do I have to appreciate how it's?
0: Uh... Oh, maybe that's something we could say. You know, what's charcuterie? <laughs> think of a slim Jim. <laughs> I mean, really, it
1: was, look at the back. It's like you know, it's a multiplier. There's. I actually read the Slim Jim label. There's chicken in that. I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, cured chicken. Something that I would soy never do. Or something. You yeah. Know, I like... mean, there's there's extenders and of course, but that is like a rudimentary. Type of charcuterie um it's cold in here let me, let me no try. no we're good we're good okay, i was good? just all right
0: yeah we're we're uh we're we'll wrapping up fairly soon but uh well let's change gears real quick yeah, because absolutely. speaking of cold in here yeah uh we're at the new spot Yep. and yeah. uh rosemont and uh I saw an article in the paper, so you're already getting press before you're open. That's I know, awesome, I know. man. I,
1: it's, it's good and bad, you know. <laughs> yeah, people uh, are like, when are you opening? You yeah, know? you know, I came home to not deal with anybody, and I, now i got to deal again with everybody. With guys
0: like me passing through wanting to talk
1: to you. Yeah, <laughs> well, I don't, you know, it's, it's nice to, you know, talk to old friends, and I'm glad everybody's doing well. Um, and I'm very, really, very appreciative of, the, you know, I've been very fortunate with getting good press and, And uh, I really, you know, I, I enjoy, I actually like not enjoy like the press, but I enjoy actually amazingly enough doing the charcuterie. And then this was to me, the next obvious step. And I looked honestly high and low in Bucks County and I looked in uh, Philadelphia. I just couldn't find something that I wanted.
0: So what's the vision here then?
1: Um, What I want to make this is that it'll be, you know, as you look around, I mean, this was a, um, a cafe and uh, a country store for years and, I just it, it made sense to me to have a charcuterie in the daytime and, and still sell at farmers markets and, and have like a brick and mortar space because before I was kind of like I was like uh like the roving charcuterie yeah, maker yeah, you know you I kind of got
0: a place where you can you know you can tell still... people where to go you know
1: and it it was a you know it's a lot of work just to kind of set up and and make your stuff and then break down and then set up again and then sell your stuff and I wanted somewhere where I could kind of wrap my arms around them. And, uh, I found this place and it's been here for years and it was, uh, you know, it's endeared to the, the local community, which I, you know, I've always wanted to be a part of a community and it really, it was happy for me to get something like this. And amazingly enough, the woman had very, very, very good taste and I actually kept the same colors. Um, and it's a, called like a French bistro. Color. Yeah,
0: no, it totally As The, you know, the green and the white and the hardwood floors, Yeah, and it's all there for you. Yeah. And, uh. Definitely my favorite piece of equipment that you've shown me is this giant. What is it? Nineteen thirty. Yeah,
1: nineteen thirty-eight. Nineteen thirty-eight. Uh, it's a a porcelain um, uh, single piece. Uh, deli case. that's a- crazy and little. i mean this thing is probably worth 15 16 and what's, is that a
0: scale over there from yeah. the 20s or yeah, something Yeah, it's, it's crazy <laughs> i mean she's got
1: really nice interesting taste and you know what i wanted to do is kind of like you know breathe life back into it again and and you know downstairs is uh you know there's a uh, old root cellar that you know I brought back to life and i'm going to use that with my dry cellar doing my fermentations down
0: there and and then i have just a big walk in and back and then how do you whatever. have with uh, i never even thought of that if you're doing a lot of uh charcuterie is there you said you can kill some people is there like a lot yeah of, uh sort of yeah C- but, co2 or fumes or what, yeah, what's the well, no, what, I mean, what's the byproduct talking, well of, i mean there is you know it's not killing people as far as like I don't want to say
1: it's like you know, is it oh, toxic. Like, there's always that you know, there's always that you know, you're taking a raw product and mm. you're basically fermenting anaerobically, so it's out without the presence of oxygen. Yep. But there is that one little like pesky bug called botulism that yep. really kind of is not great with <laughs> food. For that, yeah. And so when you're fermentating up, uh, you know, raw product that has a very you know a spoilage, you're basically extending the life. So you want to use, you know, you need to use you know, very clean, cautious about, you know, sanitation, but you also, for me, I, I do use uh, a nitrate, which is, you know, really one of the big things when we talk about buzzwords where no nitrates are, uh, you know, I, I always bristle because nitrate was the only thing that's found to, to, to kill botulism or yeah. to stop botulism. So when I see no nitrate, uh, it's kind of a hoodwink a little bit because you know when you're curing something you have to use some kind of curative they just use uh they use uh celery uh you know these uh celery juice or spinach juice which actually has a higher concentrate of nitrates yeah, yeah. than actually what i use i mean people have this weird kind of um well, I'm connotation assuming was
0: it just overused at some point probably? well
1: you know they did a study this was this study was done in in the early '70s, and it wasn't even a conclusive study talking about nitrosamines and being linked to cancer. And this was this big thing in that they considered like this preservative being a bad thing, and so everybody was like, "No nitrates, no nitrates." And uh, you know, I tell people to take a you know take a step back and think about this for a second. And what the nitrates do is it increases the uh, the water binding capacity of, of, of meat, so it doesn't. It doesn't dehydrate the meat. What it does is it changes the cellular structure and compresses the meat. It gives a uh the color, uh the it changes like the iron. So mm-hmm. it gets that red color when it when it's cooked or when it and it cures and enables uh you to um to cure anaerobically without the you know without you know, having the problems like there's always other problems like listeria and E. coli, but you know, when you get a good source you you know becomes less so but you know for me it's always you know being very consistent and and being able to cure like you can't just cure a piece uh, a ham i mean you, okay you've been to italy you know they they, they cure uh, prosciutto with sea salt and that's all they use but sea salt has natural nitrates in mm. it so i mean People are kind of fooling themselves when, totally. when they think that they're getting that, that nitrate free misinformation. Yeah, yeah and yeah. you know and and it's okay. You know, I mean, I I tell people I was like, it's okay to 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 want the nitrate free thing. There's no nothing wrong with that. But you know, you have to be cognizant that nitrates. The amount of nitrates to eat to become fatal. There's what's called nitrosamines. To cook bacon, for example, to have these nitrosyamines, you literally have to cook bacon to 500 degrees. Yeah. yeah that, you're eating a piece of charcoal. Why don't yeah. you just uh, hunk off a piece of a coal? And then, you know, to eat, like, enough smoked product, you need to literally eat in one sitting 25 pounds of smoked product. <laughs> now, I'm a Gavon, yeah. but I can't do <laughs> yeah. that. That's, that's an entire ham. I've tried. Yeah, <laughs> we've all tried.
0: Uh, well, cool, man. Uh, you know, I, I hope I can pass back through when things are up and running. Uh, but you'll probably be too busy. Nah, uh, never, never too busy for you guys. Um, you know, there's always a slab of slough waiting. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and are you getting down to the city much still? Or? Uh,
1: you know, I, I do. I, You know, I wanna, I'm want i going to, you know, it took me a year to find the I place. I say Philly, I'm
0: sorry. Yeah. If I say the city, you, New- you, we're you getting could, up into the region, region really. where it's New York. Yeah, yeah. You
1: know, that's the other reason I love this, because I'm in between Philadelphia and New York. It's the best of both worlds. Totally. And I'm in a really cool, I mean, this is Jersey, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you look around, if you go this way, it's like totally bucolic, like literally rolling hills. I'm like, this is insane. Yeah, um, it's beautiful here, man. It's gorgeous. It really great is. old houses. Yeah, and beautiful, really beautiful houses and rivers right here. Yeah, you know? know, and I, I really, it's just a, an amazing uh, opportunity to. To, to come here and be a part of the community, but I do get in the city as much as possible because, you know, I still have that,
0: you know, in me. I love the city, you know. Yeah, you, I'm the same way. I need a little action once in a while. Even absolutely. I, you I know. go hide in New Zealand for six months at a time. Right. Um, well, cool, man. We, uh, uh, normally at this point, I say cheers. I'll, I'll say cheers, but <laughs> yeah. it's uh, just coming on 10 o'clock in the morning, so we're not really drinking at this hour and having a <laughs> glass of wine. Uh, just finishing up some coffee, but... Uh, best of luck with everything Thanks man. Thanks very and, much. And, I appreciate uh, you guys coming out. Uh, for the plugs for for Matt Ridgeway. I got to talk about at the press.com is a website. It will be up uh, soon, right? Yeah, or maybe at the it'll be up uh, soon. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm redoing my website. So, yeah. uh, maybe by the time a lot of people listen to this, it'll yeah, be Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll link we'll link our websites together. And then uh porksalt.com if you want to check out the charcuterie and uh, what Matt's up to. And we are at 88 uh, Kingwood Stockton Stockton Road, Road, it's along 88 Kingwood Stockton Road uh, in Rosemont, New Jersey at the Pass, and uh, we're with, well, you mentioned the word earlier, charcuterer? Yeah, charcutier. 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 (laughs) Matt Ridgway, thanks, pal. Thanks, man. How was that?